Well, very good. So, Shabbat Chazon, the uh, Shabbat uh, of vision. Isn't that a great name? It's like, really, when you think about it, oh, the Shabbat of vision. Wow, visionary, right? Well, what's kind of uh, uh, interesting is that the reason it's called Shabbat Chazon is because of the Haftorah portion for today, which is the first chapter of Isaiah. And when you read the first chapter of Isaiah, it's kind of a downer, right? Uh, you know, it's uh, a chapter where the prophet is saying, God, you know, you may think that because you're religious, uh, God is happy, you do the sacrifices, you do this, you do that, you pray, and, but he doesn't like any of it. In fact, you're likened to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Uh, and because internally, the people were not really walking with God. And that is what Paul is saying, uh, beginning in verse 17 of uh, Romans chapter 2, uh, to Israel. Just because you are uh, Israel doesn't mean that you're automatically, that God is automatically pleased with you. Clearly not the case uh, when we read the prophets. And so we see there in the first chapter of Isaiah, and it epitomizes this whole idea of repentance uh, and, the un and the unconditional love of God, because uh, as Julie read so well in, in Isaiah 1, we read this great judgment, but there's always a way out. There's always a way of, of, uh, of repentance. And so, th so the beginning of Isaiah chapter 1 says the vision of Isaiah. And so the actual reason for calling always the Shabbat just before Tisha B'Av, Shabbat Chazon, is because of the vision of Isaiah. However, over time, uh, the, uh, the sages of Israel, the rabbis, those who write uh, homiletical pieces, midrash, and, and things like that, uh, they kind of uh, gave the uh, Shabbat Chazon uh, a little more, uh, a little more depth, uh, and a little bit more of a uh, of a different meaning, other than simply pointing to the first chapter of uh, of Isaiah. Now, Tisha B'av, remember, is the observance of the destruction of the two temples, even though it includes other other things. It's the destruction of the two temples. We read Lamentations. It's actually a fast day. Uh, as well, for, for those that would engage, uh, you know, uh, in, in that. And there's also a number of other lamentations that are read. Uh, they're contained in a, uh, it's like a special siddur for Tisha B'Av. Uh, and uh, so it's kind of interesting. You have uh, uh, all of the different uh, lamentations that were written, most of them were written in the Middle Ages. They're not from the Bible, except for Lamentations, Book of Lamentations. And most of them were written uh, post-Rome uh, and in the Middle Ages when, uh, you know, you have the Crusades and, you know, and, and other uh, terrible occurrences uh, uh, taking place. And sort of lamenting, crying out to God but crying out to God knowing that we're crying out to the one who, who really does love us, right? Uh, and so, there's a, so that is really what Tisha B'Av 
uh, is, uh, you know, is all, uh, all about. Uh, and, uh, and so the rabbis, in remembering the destruction of the first, sec- first temple and the second temple, viewed the vision as looking forward, forward to the redemption, but viewing it, but, but sort of framing it as the third temple. Like the first temple was destroyed, the second temple was destroyed. And so the, what we're looking forward to, they frame it as the redemption, the final redemption of, of the third uh, uh, temple. And different, uh, uh, there's different writings on all different ways of, uh, ways of understanding that. Some just simply are about the, the, um, you know, the day will come when there is a, uh, the day is that there is a third temple. However, uh, it is really very interesting that uh, there are a lot of different uh, ways of understanding this third temple, this vision uh, of the, the future. Uh, and so, uh, you know, in the, uh, in the Tanakh, uh, you have uh, uh, s- several very interesting passages that help us to understand uh, Jewish theology, <laughs> you might say. Uh, you know, when it comes, uh, when it comes uh, to the uh, temple. We read, for example, about a heavenly temple in the Torah. We read about a, a cosmic temple, the world being the dwelling place uh, of God. We read about a temple that God will make <laughs> uh, at, at the end. Uh, and then uh, we also read even the people as the dwelling place of God in the, in the, uh, in the Tanakh. I, and, I, and so I, I just thought very briefly I would mention a couple of these I, and then see how this is very much commensurate of what we read in the Brit Harashah with the, with the uh, coming of the, uh, the coming of the Messiah. Okay. So there's, uh, without turning to all the different texts, I, that would take too much time. Some of them I'll just mention because we're familiar with it. Like when we think about a heavenly temple, one passage that comes to mind is right here in Isaiah, in the sixth chapter, right? Uh, Isaiah is transported to the very presence of God, the very presence of God, uh, in a heavenly uh, temple where God is sitting on his, his throne, okay? Uh, also, uh, in, Ex- in the book of Exodus, right, when uh, in Exodus chapter 25, you can look up these verses, uh, God gives Moses the instructions for the tabernacle and hence the temple, right? And uh, the instructions come from the, uh, you know, w- what he sees on the mountain, right? Like a, a heavenly temple. And uh, I, so that's really very, very interesting. Uh, in Exodus chapter 15, uh, in uh, the, uh, the Song of Moses, this is also really uh, interesting. Uh, toward the very end of the Song of Moses, we read in verse uh, 17 um, of chapter 15 of Exodus, you will bring them and plant them in the mountain of, of your inheritance. 
The place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. So it's very interesting, the historic Jewish understanding of those verses at the end of the Song of Moses is that there is a heavenly temple that uh, uh, that ultimately will dwell in this world. In a sense, one might say of heaven coming and dwelling in this world, okay? Uh, and, uh, uh, and that, of course, God is, as we'll see in a moment, God is present everywhere. It's not the only place where God dwells. God dwells everywhere. But the temple becomes a physical, a, a physical manifestation, a physical place that you can point to and look to. Yet that God is, uh, yet that God is everywhere. And when there is no temple, God is still everywhere, and God still dwells uh, uh, among us. But uh, that there is this temple that God, the ultimate temple that God makes, and that is the ultimate destiny. Very interesting, those verses right there, that goes all the way back to the wilderness wanderings. That goes all the way back to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. But perhaps uh, um, the clearest place of all to understand this is in Solomon's dedication speech in 1 Kings chapter 8. Uh, the dedication of the temple. Okay? So you read here uh, um, in uh, chapter 8, in uh, verse 27, okay? But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built, okay? So there is an understanding here, clearly, if, you, if we want to look at a specific verse, that the temple is something you can see and, and be reminded of the presence of God, but God, nothing can contain God. No, uh, no room, no building, uh, not even the earth can contain God, right? Uh, yet the temple serves uh, as a, a way of uh, experiencing God's presence and also pointing forward pointing beyond itself to uh, you know, the, ultimate, uh, the ultimate destiny. But it's also interesting in, uh, in this speech, in verse 30, it says, And listen to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people, Israel, when they pray toward this place, hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, hear and forgive. Okay? That's verse 30. If you look at verse 39, it says, Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive and act and render to each according to all his ways, whose heart thou knowest, for thou alone dost know the hearts of all the sons of men. Then in verse 43, Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and do according to all which the foreigner calls to thee, not only Jews, but of the nations, right? In order that all the peoples of the earth may know thy name, to fear thee as do thy people Israel. 
and that they may know that this house which I have built is called by thy name. And then in verse 49, then hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven, thy dwelling place, and maintain their cause. Four times in this speech, Solomon refers to Hashemayim, the heavens, as the dwelling place of God, as like a heavenly temple. And uh, clearly, he also says that nothing can, can that God is, is inhabits everywhere. And so, in a way, we could say the temple, as the dwelling place of God, is cosmic. Uh, it is heavenly. Uh, it is the, the building that was built two different times. But also, it is the people, because right back in Exodus uh, chapter 25, when uh, we begin to read about the instructions for building the tabernacle, God clearly says that his desire is to dwell among the people. Dwell among the people. Okay? And so, very interestingly, uh, that the dwelling place of God is also among, uh, among the people. And then, of course, there is what we would call in this world a, some kind of manifestation of temple at the end that God, that God dwells in, that God builds. And very interestingly, if you look again carefully at uh, Exodus chapter 15, that it seems that the sanctuary, the place, the dwelling uh, is, the, uh, is the, the, the holy place of the, uh, the temple mount, where the temple mount is, is the holy, holy place. Whether there's a building there or not, it is indeed forever the holy place. It doesn't become, it doesn't symbolize something else. The place, the, the, the mount, the place, Jerusalem, is the place, whether there's a building on it or not, okay? Uh, and that ultimately, as we see in Ezekiel and as we see in Revelation, the building is like this, um, it's not just a building, it's quite clear, it's not just a building, it's like, almost like the building is the city, not just on the Temple Mount, but centered there, but encases the entire city. Uh, and uh, may I just suggest that when we read that Jerusalem is descending, that when we read about a new Jerusalem, it is the city where you can go to today. It's that it is a real, it is the real place. It doesn't become something, you know, uh, uh, something else. And and uh, um, uh, and so you have an end time understanding of the of the of this third temple, right? So, uh, very interesting, if you were to go online, and uh, you can do this, maybe you'll do it this afternoon or, or later on, Shabbat Chazon, not Calzon, right? Remember that. Chazon, uh, C-H-A-Z-O-N, okay? You'll, you can read all kinds of things about it. And it is really very interesting to read because many, uh, like many uh, uh, of, a, of, a, of a rabbi's darash, for uh, this uh, Shabbat of vision is uh, to 
uh, dwell on the alam haba, but to make it real in our lives today. How can we make it real in, you know, in, our, in, our, in our lives uh, uh, today? Or, to, uh, uh, or it's viewed uh, simply as, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, when we come to Tisha B'Av, we're thinking not only about uh, our own personal redemption, uh, but the ultimate, uh, you know, the, the ultimate redemption. So it is really very interesting because I think that when we think about all of this, uh, when we think about the, uh, who we are as Messiah followers, and what we read in the Brit Chadashah, uh, we read very clearly uh, about the, uh, uh, as, uh, as one author put it, I thought this was great, the templeization of the uh of the uh, community of messiah followers uh and that the uh not not a replacement for the temple but uh while the temple was still standing certainly the temple was uh, certainly functioning but with the coming of of the messiah we have the inauguration the beginning of this third temple the beginning of the manifestation of it uh, in the community of messiah followers we read in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, in verse, um, in verse uh, uh, 16. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chat. 2 Corinthians, did I say that? 2 second, second. Second Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 6, uh, verses 16 to 18. Or what agreement... Uh, well, actually, we go back to verse uh, 14. Or what harmony has Messiah with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. I, I could turn to other passages, but very succinctly, I, there we see that Paul understands I, that the, the beginning of the Messianic age has begun. It's not, certainly not in its fulfillment, but it has begun. Uh, and uh, just as we read in Exodus, God desires to dwell among his people and that in Messiah we are cleansed in such a way that now uh, the community of Messiah followers uh, is indeed the physical manifestation of the dwelling of God in this world, it is the place where sacrifices take place. I, I, we read, you know, about a variety of, uh, like Paul talks about being poured out as a sacrifice, sacrifices of good deeds, good works, and so on, that we function as it were a temple and as a priesthood uh, of the house of Messiah. Uh, and we function in this world that way. We intercede for this world. Uh, we pray for this world, for one another. And so therefore, if we are indeed the beginning of uh, ma the manifestation of this 
third temple, then that, that helps us, I think, to understand a little bit of, you know, of, of sort of framing Tisha B'Av and this journey uh, in something we can, we can really get our arms around. You know, every year God gives us in our calendar uh, uh, opportunities of journey, opportunities of journey. You know, in one way, life is linear, right? It's when we think chronologically, uh, right? We're, none of us are going backwards uh, to our youth. Uh, and if you are, please see me. I would enjoy that very much. Okay. Uh, but internally, isn't it interesting that uh, you read in the Brit Chadashah, Paul says, even though our outer body is decaying, inwardly we're being renewed all the time. And so may I suggest that inwardly it's more like a circle. Outwardly it's kind of a line, but inwardly it's more like a circle. And, uh, and God, uh, in his infinite wisdom, in the Jewish calendar, has given us opportunities during the year. Think about it. As we approach Passover, that's a journey, you know, as we approach the, uh, the, um, the redemption. And then from Passover to Shavuot, that's another journey. 50 days, uh, renewal, uh, restoration, right? And then from Tisha B'Av through the High Holy Days is yet another journey uh, of restoration, of repentance, uh, of renewal. And then very specifically that 10 days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, which is like, it's like the last part of this journey that we're beginning, an intensification of that idea of, of introspection and seeking forgiveness and being forgiven and, uh, you know, and being right with, uh, with God. And so may I suggest that uh, this journey uh, that we're beginning now is really just a great opportunity of a transformation and a journey of, of transformation. But what's interesting is we come to it every single year, right? It's a circle. So we come back again to it. So it's a little bit of a paradox. We seek transformation, but we know that we're, that we're not going in this life. We're not going to reach the ultimate transformation, but it's, it's sort of like a sphere. Right? Am I saying that? I'm with terrible at math, okay? I was definitely the English history guy. Uh, but a sphere, right? Is that like it goes like this, right? Kind of like that, right? And so we, we, we do this every year, but ho ho hopefully every year we're growing and we're drawing closer to God and we're, uh, you, you know, we, uh, we're transformed, yes as we uh, end each of these journeys. But then another journey begins, and uh, we grow closer and closer. We're always in the process of becoming. You know, I think that's a great way uh, to, uh, to look at this. So, you know, as I wrote in the Jirash, as I wrote in the Jirash, interestingly, in this week's Torah portion, in the first chapter of Deuteronomy, Moses recounts, basically 38 years earlier, when the people were around the mountain and, and uh, Moses says, you know, God speaks through Moses and says to the people, you've been at the mountain long enough. I want you to go to the land. But we know it took 38 years and the people refused to go. And that's why they were basically walking around in circles, not in huge areas. They were basically going around in circles 
for 38 years and, and not a huge, you know, we get the idea like, oh, the journey was so long, it took 40 years to get there. No, the journey was not that long, but they're going around in circles. Then in the second chapter of Deuteronomy, in the second verse, Moses is now speaking to the people, at, you know, at the plains of Moab, and here they are 30 year, 38 years later, and what do we read in Deuteronomy uh, uh, chapter 2? Uh, okay. And the Lord, it says, first of all, in, in, chapter, in verse 1, it says, then we turn, and so now he's still talking here about, in verse 1 of chapter 2, about you know, crossing the Red Sea and going out into the wilderness. Then we turned and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me and circled Mount Seir for many days. You know what that many days is? 38 years. And the Lord spoke to me saying, now, you have circled this mountain long enough. Now turn north. He's saying now, enough, enough. Now it is time to enter the land. So we could say that when the Israelites come to the plains of Moab, just before they enter the land, they've kind of been in this area before. And now they're here again. And now the question is, will they go in? And so a question for us is, we've been here before, right? It's like a circle. We've been the Tisha B'Av before. We've been in that, that uh, season of repentance uh, toward uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We've been here before. The question is, will it simply be a time of religious activity uh, that does not impress God necessarily just because we're doing it? Or is it coming from internal, from the internal? Are we motivated in the right way? That is what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 2 in our Brit Hadashah portion. And that is what Isaiah is saying in Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah chapter 1. Uh, that you have to approach God from the heart and in the right, right way. And it shows in your actions. Right in the middle of Isaiah 1, in verse 16, it says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. When it says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, it's not saying, you know, you're, you really stink. Uh, hit the showers, okay? Maybe it's the case, but he's talking about internally. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. You know, well, then he says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. This is like succinctly saying, live the Torah way of life from the, from the inner recesses of your very being. And that is our challenge now. The question is, are we going to simply go through the motions and be concerned about when is this and when is that and what program are we having for this and that? Or are we going to really uh, take the initiative and really see this indeed as a journey, as a, as a journey of, of uh, yes, of turning. That's what repentance is, of turning and really beginning to live uh, uh, differently. How do we live differently? 
Well, I, by the way that we, as we see by these verses, by the way we interact, by the way we interact with others, the care that we show to others, including ourselves, but, but not exclusively to, to, uh, to ourselves. And, you know, just to uh, finish up here, I, I thought what would be a, uh, a really good New Covenant passage that, that talks about this? And from a kind of a, a place that we don't usually look to, uh, in First Thessalonians, toward the very end, uh, in uh, uh, chapters uh, uh, four and five of First Thessalonians, it's kind of interesting. When we see ourselves as a temple, and when we see ourselves as therefore as need to be pure and need to be clean, right? Then the temple need to be uh, clean and cleansed and the priesthood uh, be prepared to be able to, to serve. So in the same way, if we see ourselves as a community, as the, as the temple, we need to take that responsibility both individually and communally to be cleansed, to be right with God. And, and then the, the heavens, the sky, literally, Hashemayim is the limit of what God can do in our midst. But we know that if the temple is not clean, it really can't function in the way that God desires, right? Uh, and, uh, and so uh, in chapter four, it's interesting at the first verse of 1 Thessalonians four, finally then brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Yeshua, that you received that as you received from us instructions as to how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do walk that you may excel still more okay then in verse 3 he says for this is the will of God your sanctification your holiness right you know that is that you abstain from sexual immorality that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor not in lustful passions like the pagans uh, who do not know God. And then it says, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the, in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. In other words, God will, will judge. Uh, then he says, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Okay. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, uh, uh, but God. And then just jumping down to verse 10, he says this, For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. That's where they where Thessalonica is located. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Isn't that interesting that in verse 1 and verse 10 he says, You know, you're really doing it, but ex excel still more. You never really reach it. You guys are doing great, but excel still more. How important it is for us not to look at ourselves and say, well, we're doing okay. We're, we're doing, yeah, yeah. Now we may be, uh, but excel still more. Let us, you know, press on. There's lots of verses, right, that we could turn to about. Press on. We have not yet received the reward. We have not yet, you know, reached uh, the ultimate. Let us excel, excel still more in our uh, sanctification. And then he says this, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you 
so that you may behave properly toward outsiders and not be any in any need. Basically, what he is admonishing them to do is to live well and be a good testimony of the reality of the presence of this third temple in this world. And don't let other things get in the way. When he says, lead a quiet life, work with your hands, he's basically saying, do your job, work, earn a living, take care of one another in the kihilai, in the community, love on one another, so that you're a good testimony to outsiders. How important uh, is it uh, for us, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, uh, to get that? Don't let anything, I wrote down, don't let anything get in the way of being a testimony of the presence of Messiah uh, in, this, uh, in this world. Uh, and uh, clearly that was what the physical temple testified of, right? And then in the fifth chapter, uh, he says uh, this in verse 11, in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are also doing. Encourage one another, build up one another, pour yourselves into one another. And now, now he's going to go off on this. Uh, he, if you go down to verse 14, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all people. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after what is good uh, for one another and for all men. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. You know, it's interesting. I love that because oftentimes, uh, you know, you hear pray without ceasing and that becomes like a Bible study. What does that mean? Does that mean that we are supposed to pray uh, 24 hours a day? No, if we would just get close to praying on some kind of regular basis, that would really be great. You, you know, uh, okay. In other words, be this kind of people. Be this kind of people. Let this be what you're known for and not everything else. You know, in everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Messiah Yeshua. Don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterance. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast uh, to that which is uh, of a uh, God. Abstain from every form of evil, uh, and uh, and so on. So I, uh, you know, this is a great list. I, I didn't read earlier on, even in chapter 4, where he talks about, and but love one another, let be known for loving one another and interacting with one another. And then, you know, lastly, in the book of Hebrews, in the 10th chapter, and I think I've mentioned this before, of course, but uh, in Hebrews 10, uh, after the whole, the whole chapter after chapter, of what the priesthood of Messiah is all about. At the end of the day, he says in verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Don't be discouraged, but just keep going and keep living this way. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, 
not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Very important in those three verses, 23, 24, and 25, you need to see that as a unit, okay? Now, so he says first, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And then it ends with encourage one another, by, yeah, encourage one another, okay? Especially, you know, as you see the day drawing near. And in the middle of that, like a sandwich, it says, don't forsake the assembling together of one another. May I suggest that in the first century, the only way that people could encourage one another, the only way that they could stimulate one another to good deeds, the only way that they could have koinonia, the only way they could pour their lives into one another is if they met together, okay? It's not a verse that's about a morning Shabbat or Sunday morning worship service. It's not a verse about make sure that you're hearing a message and you're uh, singing songs and greeting one another. Kihila, community, is not about a service. It's not about a service. Do you know that the reality is, and people talk about this today all the time, that we're used to, many of us, we're used to the doorway to a congregation is through the service. Invite somebody to the service. Come to the service. But you know, there are many doorways. There are many doorways. There are many opportunities. The opportunity could be at a coffee shop. The opportunity could be a, a group of people coming together to pray. It could be talking on the phone. It could be a Zoom meeting. Uh, it could be uh, uh, some way of communicating and of being involved in, in people's lives. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Given the fact of the priesthood of Messiah, given the fact that we are now part of this heavenly temple, given the fact that we are dwelling in the very presence of God at the right hand of the Father, as we read in Colossians chapter 3, uh, given the fact that um, I, we are this, the manifestation of Yeshua, Yeshua dwelling in this world is happening as we interact with one another, then don't neglect one another. Don't be isolated. Don't be a loner. Don't say it's just me and God, because it's, except in extraordinary circumstances, not about just you and God. It can be, of course, but it's about all of us beginning with, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, the proper working of each individual part, right? So we all need to take personal responsibility for our walk with God and recognizing that it's never just about, okay, I want to live a better life, so I'm going to walk with God. No, it's we need to have a better life, and so I'm going to walk with a, a God. And so as uh, we uh, enter into this uh, it's approximately six-week period of, uh, you know, of, of, of journeying together, entering into this season of, of uh, repentance, may we intentionally do so. And may it really be a season of transformation for us. May we be able to maybe notice amongst ourselves 
I, you know, so to speak, after the fact, kind of like Moses at the, in the cleft of the rock when God passes by, uh, you know, wow, I can see him now. That, you know, may we see over this period of time that transformation happens in our, in our community, in from the little kids to the oldest person here, that all of us, and may we fulfill our calling of being the place that people can say, that's where, that, that is where I see the presence of God. And just like the temple of old, when people would make their pilgrimages, uh, you know, uh, uh, to the temple, may the world, may the Jewish community, may the, the uh, may all uh, people see that, wow, this is a place where God is. This is a real alternative to everything else out there. And may God have his way with us. Let's pray. Lord, uh, God, uh, thank you. God, may this really be a, uh, the beginning of a, th- this uh, Shabbat Chazon, uh, this Shabbat of vision. May it not only be remembering the vision of Isaiah, but Lord, may you just renew our vision and give us a, a greater vision of, of who we are and who we can be, Lord. And may we move away from the uh, it is time to stop walking in circles in the wilderness, walking in circles of conventionality and mediocrity, uh, and it's okay just the way it is. May we move away from that, and may we move forward, Lord, with our eyes fixed on you and enter into a, a new, deeper understanding. Lord, may we be transformed, yes, by the renewing of our mind. And may we be able to show what spiritual sacrifice in your temple really is like. We pray this in Messiah's name. Amen.